0: To me, student loans are a great example of systemic economic injustice, and its impacts are widely
1: felt upon multiple generations. Welcome to FYI, the Public Libraries podcast. I'm Kathleen Hughes, your host with the Public Library Association. Today, we delve into the realm of federal government student loan repayment programs with our expert guest, Kyra Hahn, a librarian at the Denver Public Library. Kyra has successfully navigated the public service student loan forgiveness process and is here to shed light on recent changes introduced by the Biden administration. Kyra will be featured in a session on the how-to stage at the upcoming PLA 2024 conference. Her presentation titled, How to Achieve Student Loan Forgiveness, Navigating Changes and Advocating for Systemic Reform, is scheduled for Friday, April 5th at 10 a.m. in the Exhibit Hall. The session will explore the reality of student loan forgiveness, provide practical resources for navigating recent process changes in public service loan forgiveness and income-driven repayment forgiveness programs. Kyra will also touch on the impact of advocacy and research in raising awareness about the challenges of lifelong debt and influencing systemic change in educational funding and employment benefits. Welcome, Kyra, and thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to talk with you again. Let's begin with an overview of where we stand with student loan repayment. Following the Supreme Court's rejection of the Biden administration's student loan forgiveness plan, they introduced Plan B. Can you tell us more about this new alternative approach?
0: Basically, there were a bunch of legal challenges. And when the Supreme Court decision came out, the Biden administration decided to go for an approach that would narrow the scope of student loan forgiveness Part of the decision, Supreme Court said the Department of Ed the Secretary, does not have this power to forgive this much debt during a pandemic and that it was overreaching. They decided to go with a different strategy that involved making a committee, which was a student debt relief committee, and negotiated rulemaking. It's a longer process, but it involves several meetings that involve stakeholders and gathers input to help shape the policies going forward. So those meetings started happening in November and December of 2023, and there were some specific themes that emerged. They want to target the efforts of student loan forgiveness towards borrowers that have loan balances that are larger than what they originally borrowed. That was a very consistent theme. And a lot of times this is due to interest accrual over time. They also wanted to target borrowers who have paid on loans for 25 years or longer because one of the things that was discovered is Within the repayment plans, there are some caveats that say that your loan will be discharged after you've made 20 to 25 years worth of payments and the administration realized that they've not been doing that. So they're working to correct that. Also, students who attended programs of questionable value, maybe students didn't finish, the job placement rates were exaggerated or overrepresented. A lot of people think of for-profit colleges for this, so they want to try and help with remedying that.
1: One of my friends went to like a fly-by-night college. The diploma was worthless, basically, and she is still paying for that student loan.
0: Yes, and I know that there are some school closure discharges too, and then also they're trying to encourage more borrowers that are eligible for current relief programs that have not applied yet. So if you're eligible for public service loan forgiveness, if you're eligible for income-driven repayment plan forgiveness, if you're eligible for teacher loan forgiveness, they really want to encourage you to apply so that you can get the forgiveness that you're eligible for. And then lastly, they're looking at borrowers that are in financial hardship. So, people that their loans may be in default, they've gone through bankruptcy proceedings, etc., they are still trying to work to clarify how that is determined or defined because during the course of this journey so far, it's become clear that even the legal system is not clear on what the definition of undue hardship is.
1: It's kind of crazy that people are paying student loans for 25 and 30 years. Like it's along the lines of a mortgage almost.
0: You know, it's part of the reason why when I started my advocacy and research, I kind of coined it as debt for life. When you're young, you don't think about when you're going to college and, oh my goodness, I'm going to be paying on this loan for this long. And now I feel like, circumstances are changing in the workplace and other things whether it be through changing economics or whatever people are either having to get more educational credentials or they're having to retrain from one field to another and right now our current system doesn't really accommodate well for that.
1: Before we get into ways to navigate the repayment process would you want to share a little bit about your personal journey within the student loan forgiveness system?
0: My personal journey was definitely not a smooth one. It's part of the reason why I started my advocacy work because, you know, When you hear about the program, it sounds like it's supposed to be easy. However, it was not easy. Trying to get into the right repayment plan that qualifies for PSLF, those are called income-driven repayment plans. So there are specific plans that you have to be involved in for that. I know that during the pandemic, I experienced a job layoff. I took temporary jobs. I took permanent jobs that were in other states. Trying to get your employee Certified. It's much easier if you're a larger organization versus a smaller one. So I got lucky because there was a period of time called the limited waiver and they had relaxed some of the rules for counting qualifying payments. So I was able to get forgiveness as part of the first wave of that once that limited waiver period ended in October of 2022. But you know, a lot of people had problems with meeting all the program requirements because the information was not rolled out in an easy to understand way. For me, it was a lot of letter writing, a lot of complaints. I talked to local, state senators, worked with aides in their offices, and our state attorneys general here in Colorado recently established an ombudsman office for them. Through a combined village effort, I was able to get through the process.
1: Congratulations, you're a success story.
0: Thank you, and it warms my heart every time I hear someone else's success story. One of my relatives, I helped them with their student loan forgiveness And it was just life-changing for them. They were like, oh my gosh, I can now entertain the thought of retirement. There's also just such a huge like, emotional toll. Because I know for me, even when I had the debt, it just feels like a heavy weight.
1: What do you recommend as the best way for people to begin navigating these options?
0: The best and most primary place to start is going to be studentaid.gov. And even though it's not the easiest website to navigate, they have all of your federal loan history. They have the public service loan forgiveness form. If you need information on enrolling in income-driven repayment plans, you can apply directly on the website once you log in. If you need to do a loan consolidation to get your non-qualifying loans to direct loans, which is the qualifying loan type, you can do that there. But really, it's also enlightening just to see your student loan and borrowing history, and it will show you who your loan servicer is, because generally they track those changes. Probably the next resource is checking your loan servicer website. They do have a lot of tools as well, but I find that there can be information discrepancies between what your loan servicer may have and what student aid may have. And so if there is a discrepancy, I usually defer to whatever is on studentaid.gov. I highly encourage folks to read any and all emails related to your student loan accounts. Make sure that your contact information is correct and up to date. Sometimes I talk to people who have received forgiveness and they don't learn about it until months later after they catch up on emails. I'm grateful to the PLA Coalition. ALA partnered with them in 2023 to share their webinars. That group is still doing webinars every other month throughout 2024. So if you need a little bit more handholding, that's a great way to go. And then, of course, the big advocacy groups like Student Debt Crisis Center, they do a lot of advocacy work. They have a great resources page. And then I run a Facebook group. Mine is called Librarian for PSLF. There's also another group called Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program Support that are great at answering questions as well.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the idea of public service loan forgiveness and librarianship. How can public librarians fit into this category?
0: Every single person that works for a public library is eligible for this program. And that's pretty powerful. We definitely are a public service institution, so it doesn't matter what your job title is. As long as you're working 30 or more hours a week, which is what is considered full-time, you're eligible to apply. And I highly encourage people to apply. It's going to be a tough road. It's going to take an emotional toll. In the end, when forgiveness does happen, it is an incredible relief on your pocketbook because on average, student loan payments are several hundred dollars a month. And that can make a huge difference in your day-to-day living and your quality of life. As some folks have mentioned to me, they're like, thank you so much for encouraging me constantly to apply, apply, apply. The worst thing they can say is no. So they can reject your
1: application. What reasons would be for that?
0: Could be incomplete information. That's probably the most common or there's missing signatures. When you're submitting the PLS form, you have to sign it and your employer has to sign it. Sometimes you may put down the wrong federal employment ID number for the employer. Those are some pretty common reasons for why they can get rejected. So I usually tell people to prepare for having to submit information multiple times. Right now, as we have started entering repayment, there have been errors on borrowers' accounts. If you entered repayment and then you see that your account has gone back into a forbearance status, make sure to double-check Nine times out of 10, it should be an administrative forbearance If the loan servicer or Department of Ed has found errors on your account, your account will likely remain in forbearance status until the errors are corrected. The reason why the administrative forbearance is so important is because that administrative forbearance right now is giving you similar benefits as previous programs to help borrowers successfully get through to forgiveness. Your payments are still counting even though you're not making making a payment towards your qualifying payment count. Also, they're not charging you interest on those payments as well. Can you explain what forbearance is? In general, a basic forbearance is a period of time in which you are not making any payments. In a traditional forbearance, you don't have to make any payments. However, the interest typically is still accruing on your loan accounts and then they will add it to your balance which then increases your student loan balance. Once you enter repayment they recalculate what you're repaying based on your new balance that includes the interest. You can also ask for them if you are experiencing financial hardship, if you're experiencing medical issues, if you're in the military, and if you'd like to learn more, you can look that up at studentaid.gov.
1: There is a movement to make college more affordable for everyone. Can you share any information about that and um, also maybe share some tips for our listeners to advocate for equitable and accessible higher education?
0: To me, student loans are a great example of systemic economic injustice, and its impacts are widely felt upon multiple generations. It's not just students. It's the parents. It's the co-signers. And now we're starting to see that this is even affecting our elders Research has revealed that our BIPOC communities are hit hardest and most adversely impacted by this debt. There's ongoing discussion about this whole debt for life issue and paying so long on student loans. And the Biden administration has really pushed forward on trying to make these reforms. I don't think I've ever seen any administration previous to this make as much change or progress in this area. Area. We're recognizing that the system that we currently have in education is not sustainable and our work lives are changing and we're needing retraining for future sustainability. Some of this has prompted changes in funding as far as when you're applying to go to college now, some colleges are not even including student loans as a part of their aid packages. They are working to focus more on grants and work study as ways to fund your educational experience. There are changes happening in how financial aid is being calculated and rewarded. These conversations are also changing how repayment on student loans after you Finish school. And so there's a lot of work being done to try to mitigate those things. Even in the employment area, there are some changes that are happening. I think this year is the first year that employers have the option to either assist with repaying student loan debt or contributing to retirement accounts. And I know that that is a perk that some staff look for. I know when I was laid off, I was specifically looking for jobs that would qualify for public service loan forgiveness. Employers that put that in their job postings, it's a very smart move on their part. They want educated candidates. Guess what? You're going to attract them by saying, we're going to help you with your debt. There's been a ton of groups that have advocated for these changes, such as Student Borrower Protection Center, American Federation of Teachers, Student Debt Crisis Center. It's also helpful to talk with local political officials, your representation, let them know what's going on at the local level, at the state level. Oftentimes, I encourage folks to check your state attorney general's office, see if they have established an ombudsman at the state level to take on student loans. Some states do offer that or they're monitoring how student loan servicing is impacting their state. I always encourage folks to file complaints whenever necessary with Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. Part of the reason why I do that is because they have a really easy online system for filing the complaint. They take those complaints and they are a separate agency who reports all of that to Congress. Every time you speak up, it forces a re-examination and an improvement of the system in hopes of trying to make it fairer and compelling the government to deliver on the promise of public education.
1: Well, thank you, Kyra, for shedding a little light on the federal student loan repayment system. If you're attending PLA 2024, don't miss Kyra's presentation. It will be on the how-to stage in the Exhibits Hall on Friday, April 5th at 10 a.m. Visit publiclibrariesonline.org to hear more FYI podcasts. Thanks for listening.